0: Welcome to the TBE Richmond podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Beth El in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Good Shabbos.
1: As we find ourselves in the thick of winter, and a shockingly and suddenly cold one at that. I found myself so, contemplating a piece like by my this, own sir? teacher and rabbi, <laughs> yes, Rabbi Feldman, called "To Dwell in Thick Darkness: The Sacred yes, Dark in Jewish Thought." You, Carl, and the article, there. Rabbi Fern observes that some say they want to embrace the dark when they mean embrace the grief and anger and suffering in the world and be present with it rather than denying it. But Rabbi Feldman isn't interested in that aspect of darkness. Rather, what interests her is how in the darkness, all separation dissolves into oneness. Darkness is depths, caves, wounds, soil that sprouts seeds, soothing shade, and nighttime during which we dream, grow, and make long-term memory. Darkness, she concludes, can be a source, essence, innermost being, transcendence, embodiment, mystery. Rabbi Fern's words resonate with me deeply today, not just because we gather here on the shortest Shabbat day of the year, but because our Parsha unfolds in a complex web of dreams, dreams shared, dreams interpreted, and dreams fulfilled. Parsha Miketz begins with the interpretation of Pharaoh's two distressing dreams of cows and corn, which as an aside would be an amazing name for a band. Joseph, who is found in his lowest point as a prisoner in Pharaoh's dungeons, is brought forward on recommendation of the royal cupbearer to offer meaning to these troubling visions. But the Joseph brought before Pharaoh is changed and less selfish than the favored brother we saw who without care for his brothers last week. Now he comes before Pharaoh and declares, Elohim et shalom Pharaoh. It is not himself who will see to Pharaoh's welfare, but God. As an agent of the divine, Joseph predicts with chilling clarity the pending ecological crisis and offers a path forward to collectively respond to the famine and its dire consequences. Pharaoh, so impressed, elevates Joseph to oversee such preparations and Joseph rises to prominence second only to Pharaoh. If that were the end of this Parsha, things would be less messy. Instead, we see that famine brings Jacob's sons, minus Benjamin at first, to Egypt in search of food. In the ensuing encounter, Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. It seems worth highlighting that Joseph begins this encounter by accusing his brothers of being miraglim, spies. Let us remember that our own bondage as a people begins in Exodus when a new king comes to power and decides to enslave us less than his words, they join our enemies in fighting against us. As we'll read in a few more weeks, Pharaoh doesn't use the word spy or meruglaim in Exodus. But the charge feels connected to Joseph's words, especially given the wordplay between Yosef and Parsha and Nosef, the word for gather against. I don't know that it's a stretch to say that Torah seems to be suggesting we be careful with the language we use and deploy in communal discussion and among those we love, lest it come back to harm us all from those who have ill will. But setting that aside, and in fairness to Joseph, when he tests, confines, and challenges his brothers, the Torah, a women's commentary, observes that the case of role reversal could have multiple motives. Punishment, testing, teaching a lesson, or simply fulfillment of his earlier dream of having all of his brothers bow down to him. To say the least, it's complex, and it seems appropriate then that Parshat Cates falls during Hanukkah this year, because many themes of Joseph's story resonate with the way Rabbi greenberg describes the history in his own book on the holiday. And sometimes Hanukkah can feel a bit like a Rorschach
0: contest, so many narratives
1: and potential lessons that its meanings often shift based on our circumstances. Regardless, Rabbi Greenberg identifies two main camps in the Jewish response to Seleucid rule and those um, engaged in battle, whether ideological or literal, against the Seleucids and their Hellenizing Jewish supporters. The first response is characterized by Hasidim or Pietists, not to be confused with today's follower of Hasidism.
0: This group saw the sacking of the Jerusalem temple under Antiochus
1: as an indicator of God's anger at Jewish apostasy and at the failure of pious Jews to do something Though they were distraught, it was not <laughs> for them to rebel against divine <laughs> like, yeah, chastisement. In the I words of our hoftal portion so, from Zechariah, written in like, the wake like, of the first temple's destruction, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, shall Jerusalem be rebuilt, the menorah rededicated, and peace restored. It's a wonderful vision, but one to be fulfilled by the divine. The second approach, though, was that of the Maccabees, initiated by Mattathias. Taking matters into their own hands, the Maccabean fighters retake the temple a little less than three years after its desecration head of Rosh Hashanah in 164 BCE. Under the leadership of Judah Maccabee, they decide to wait a few months to see if the pietist messianic vision will come true. When it's Rosh Hashanah like, and then Sukkot okay, pass yeah. without a rededication <laughs> really of the sacred altar from it's the divine, true. the Maccabees realize, in Yitz Greenberg's words, that there was a natural yeah, date I mean, to, target to for completion of the Restoration. 25th I'm of Kislev, the third anniversary the of the imposed yeah. cult's desecrating yeah. sacrifices. She's what more appropriate day, Rabbi Greenberg no, but, asks, to dedicate closet. the yeah, purified like our temple. Our temple. And she lives in the Richard, Maccabees could wait for the return died. of prophecy and miracles so said to have passed centuries Jesus earlier, but in the, in the interim, Bible. a human victory helped by God so was an adequate tonight. basis uh, for renewing uh, the temple. The temple. Rabbi her, Greenberg marvels at the courage and unquenchable hope that kept Judah the life, and the life, Maccabees, and the Maccabees going. While we know this wouldn't be the end of their fight against outsiders, it's a miracle in and of itself and a testament to that courage that we still exist today to light the Hanukkah candles. Coming. Look at this cute hat. This oh, Shabbat God. is more than the shortest She's in like, daylight of the yeah, year. Uh, Beating right out last black week black by like, a whopping so 17 on, seconds, so just for the record. It's, it's also the clear. darkest in another way. I can get in it addition to our proximity to the winter solstice this past Wednesday. Oh, tonight, amazing. as we've oh, been happy. celebrating, is like Rosh Podesh yeah. the new yeah. moon. Yeah. The days are short, and the night yeah. is but also particularly watch dark watch with yeah. the absence so of so the moon's glow. Like, Still, Rosh every Rosh Podesh for that matter, is inherently about renewal, or in the spirit of this season, rededication and rediscovery of unquenchable hope. It is in the darkest moment, that we find deep spiritual wisdom of Hanukkah. Uh, Another one of my teachers, Rabbi Natan Margulit, wrote in the post about why Hanukkah isn't a minor holiday. I'll let you guess as to what the crux of his, uh, what his argument is. He observes that there is a primordial wisdom in Hanukkah beyond the miraculous stories we commemorate. Hanukkah, he says, in a rousing defense of the holiday's transcendence importance,
0: celebrates finding
1: answers out of confusion, and light out of darkness as symbolized by the candles we kindle. It is no small act to light a tiny flame against the darkness of winter. It's an act of rebellion and hope on par with the dreams of our Maccabean ancestors. Rabbi Deborah Judith Robbins in her commentary on Me cakes called In Search of Dreamers remind us that no one can dream alone. Dreamers she declares have to have faith in themselves and other people and in God knowing that God is in the depths of what sometimes feels like an empty pit. In the sacred dark, we find opportunity to dream, grow, and transcend. Even amidst our literal darkness, and the sometimes overwhelming cloud that seems to hang over our people, our country, and our world in this moment, we can still dream. We should still have faith, and we must still act. So tonight, when we light candles for the seventh night of Hanukkah, on a Shabbat of dreaming and a new moon of promise, I hope we all ask ourselves three questions. What dream do we have for our collective future? How will we act to bring light and warmth to a world so desperately in need of both? Is this enough, and to whom are we dedicating our lives? Shabbos, Hagarim Sameach, and Chodesh Tov.
0: This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.